You're listening to Tech 15, a Viva Technology podcast on the digital revolutions shaping our future. This season is sponsored by Manpower Group and looks at how technology plus talent will power the world of work and human resources. Each 15-minute episode is recorded live in person at Viva Tech, Europe's biggest startup and tech event in Paris. Hello there and welcome to a brand new series of Tech 15 brought to you by Manpower Group. I'm Emma Crosby and in this series we're exploring tech talent, how to discover it, how to attract it and how to build it. In this episode, we're asking how data can help companies make smarter decisions about their workforce strategy. We're recording right here in Paris at the VivaTech annual event, caught up in the action as thousands of business and industry professionals join to showcase our tech future. Coming up, we'll be hearing from a range of experts. But first, let me bring in my co-host, Tomas Chamorro Premusic, Manpower Group's Chief Innovation Officer. Okay, let's talk about big data, Tomas. I know that this is an area that excites you, doesn't it? I am a bit of a self-confessed kind of big data geek. As an innovation officer, chief innovation officer for Manpower Group, there must be some data behind your own role as well, Tomas. So tell me, why are you such a big believer in data? Well, so our remit is to find meaningful and sustainable employment for millions of people. And in order to do that, you need to really understand human talent and potential to a deeper level than most people do superficially. And, you know, the world of talent is quite complex today. In the old days, you could tell me what you studied or what you worked on before, and I would know what you should do. Now you need to understand people's values, their hard skills, their soft skills, etc. And no human can do this in a reliable and accurate way just through their intuition. So data for us is an ability to dig deeper into human potential and understand people for who they really are and also help them understand their skills, their talents and their potential so that they end up in more meaningful and successful careers. Which is a fantastic aim, isn't it? On a day-to-day basis, in terms of reality, how can data analytics improve then the recruitment and professional development process? So I think there are two main ways. The first is you can create protocols or processes that enable organizations to evaluate the accuracy and fairness of their hiring decisions, especially when you're hiring people at scale. So if a company is you know, recruiting hundreds or thousands of people and you measure things like their skills, their abilities, their personalities, their educational level, their past employment, etc., you can identify what key signals truly predict whether people thrive and whether people succeed or not. And the second one, which is perhaps even more importantly, is getting better at evaluating what people actually contribute in a role, job, or organization. You know, the majority of organizations still rely on subjective performance ratings by a manager, which tend to be contaminated by politics or even nepotism or subjectivity. So we try to get data on what people actually deliver. What is their contribution to their team, to the organization? And if you have that more reliable and objective outcomes, you can then improve your predictive models to ensure that more people get the job because they deserve to get the job. It sounds very complex, is it? Well, we live in a complex world and I wish it were as simple as 100 years ago or 50 years ago. You show up, you have a chat with someone, you have a coffee and then they hire you. 
as the world becomes more complex, the landscape of talent becomes more complex as well. So you can't just play it by ear and you need to use everything from science-based assessments to historical data to any method that you have, science-based and technology tools to really understand where people would make a good contribution to the labor market and jobs. We're going to talk about historical data with our next guest in terms of trying to uh, find data that is unbiased. What do you think about that? Well, we know why things go wrong and we have seen examples, you know, almost horror stories where people have assumed that just because they have heaps of, of data or lots of volume of data and the algorithms look predictive, things are good. So, you know, the famous stories, Amazon or Microsoft trying to create a chatbot that was trained to predict who gets promoted. And surprise, surprise, the vast majority of cases, it was middle-aged white male engineers. But the bias is not in the algorithms in the chatbot or in the AI, it's in the system, right? So I think that's also a wonderful example to understand how data can expose and reveal biases in a system. But fundamentally, humans need to intervene to decontaminate the bias or the error that exists when people rate each other, when managers or bosses rate their employees for what they contribute. And this is very, very hard to do in skilled jobs. You know, within the knowledge economy, there's this almost weird and fascinating paradox whereby the more skilled you are, the more you get paid and the more of a knowledge worker you are, the harder it is to tell whether you're actually doing a good job or not. That's fascinating. We're told big data allows companies to make smarter decisions, but surely the data is only as smart as the people who are inputting it and also analyzing it. So does this mean data that companies are using is biased? Well, I'm delighted to say I'm joined now by one company who's on a mission to de-bias data. Nathan Cavaglion, Chief Technology Officer at Fairgen joins me now. Hi there, Nathan. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at Fairgen. Sure. So, as you know, over the last uh, decade and across many sectors, our society has increasingly delegated uh, mission-critical decisions to artificial intelligence algorithm. And the way those algorithms learn are, is with data. And this data is made by us humans, and it also includes all our biases, all our prejudices. And uh, AI is so powerful that it exactly copies the, the way the data behaves. So it actually perpetuates uh, the human biases at scale. And if I can give a concrete example, typically in HR tech, Amazon, a few years ago, they used a, an AI algorithm to scan CVs. And because their data was full of male developers in the past, it started skipping a lot of female CVs who were at equal level of qualification. Um, and so they had to take out the model from production. So that's typically the situations we try to fix at Fergen. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? such a great example that even at a company like Amazon, with female CEOs or female employees mm -hmm. with exactly the same skills and qualifications and experience were just not getting a, a look in because of, the, because of the bias that was already there in the day. So that's extraordinary. The problem is that AI is very smart, but also not that smart. Uh, what does it mean is that it's so smart that it can really take all the patterns that's given to it. It will find out even the smallest patterns and reproduce them. But it's not smart because it doesn't have common sense. 
it doesn't have common sense that the social background of someone, its age, its gender, its ethnical uh, background is not supposed to influence the outcome on such products. And we know that, that diversity is incredibly important. We know that companies are striving more than ever to get a diverse workforce that matches the communities with which they operate in. So what are you doing then to de-bias data? How do you go about that? At Fergen, we actually create uh, synthetic profiles to rebalance the data in uh, the other direction. So typically for the Amazon use case, we would be creating synthetic profiles of females that would have been accepted at senior positions, you know, as developers, as executives, so that there would be an equal amount of the two genders actually in the data set of Amazon, and it wouldn't be biased in one direction. Because if you have more male data points, or if you have more male that were accepted than women in proportion, those are two kinds of biases that, that will make the eye go into one direction. So what, what is your end game? What, what is your hope here? If, if mm -hmm. companies were to use your system to have de-bias or unbiased data, where would they hope to be by using those systems? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so, so I think today many corporations find themselves in a place where they can't not use AI because everybody's using it, the whole competition's doing it, it's the future but they can't fix their data and data is by definition imperfect. So basically what we do is that we rebalance the data so that everything is, is on par and that downstream the, the impact on the companies that they have unbiased data so they have unbiased AI and then the AI treats everyone equally uh, no matter if it's different genders, different minorities. So that's our, our dream is that you know we will enable customers all over the world to use AI without, without creating biases and scandals. But actually in Israel, we're actually like already 10 years inside the, the data wave and we're already into the next wave, which is the ethical wave. So what happened is that for the last 10 years, people have discovered the power of data and used it to improve processes as we discussed. But today people see that it's not enough just to use data and to move fast and break things. Now you have to be wary of how you use that data because it can lead to unethical impacts, like loan applicants being rejected for the ethnical background, different genders being rejected for jobs, etc. So Fergen is building the next 10 years of data. We're going to move from a data stack to an ethical stack where we control how this data is being used and we are compliant and we're careful about not hurting the society. And what we like to think of is that, you know, in the last 10 years, technology has been accused of growing social inequality, of growing the distance between human beings. And for us, we really have that vision that this time technology is going to bring us together and make uh, society fairer. So what is your message then to the CTOs and the chief people officers? What, what do you say to them? I say to them that they can now future-proof the technology and be ahead of the curve and increase their reputation by implementing ethical AI now instead of waiting that everyone else is doing it and then they have to do it because they're the last one in the room that didn't do it. Thomas, we just had a really interesting conversation with Nathan then from FairGen about um, unbiased data. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? How do you think employers should be stripping out biased data in order to be able to recruit best fit candidates? Well, I think it certainly starts with the top, with top leadership being convinced and committed to improving the culture and to creating a culture that is not just meritocratic, but also fair and ethical. Um, data generally will always tell you what goes on. And so even when the data is highlighting some biases, I mean, that could motivate people to act and to reduce it. I think a lot of organizations resist AI, big data, because they're afraid to look at themselves in the mirror. But fundamentally, looking at data that reveals that some things are not as fair as they should be, 
can be a really good trigger, a really good justification in a logical rationale or justification for acting and changing things. But you need the commitment and you need leaders who act with integrity and who are committed to improving the culture. So, Thomas, when you're talking to chief people officers and CTOs, where is this on their to-do list? How high up is data on their things to do? It's super high, and I think it's been high for some time, but, you know, it's probably still increasing in importance. I think fundamentally in any field, not just in HR, people today feel a little bit embarrassed if they admit that they're not being data-driven or evidence-based in a field. You know, so marketeers... Uh, financial services, people in insurance, people in retail, people in government, people in military security, and people in HR understand that data is a fundamental vehicle for understanding people, whether that's consumers, employees, leaders, etc. I think where most organizations and even professionals are still struggling is not in going from data to insights, but in going from insights to action. The ability to act on the data-driven insights that you have requires not just skills and a different mindset, but a whole new culture, change management, and that's really the holy grail. That's where a lot of people struggle. That's why it really becomes a leadership and an HR issue on itself. And that's such a good point, isn't it? Because it doesn't matter how much data you collect, it's what you do with it is, is the most important aspect, isn't it? So what? I mean, talk us through that process. What should companies do once they've collected all this data? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a quote attributed to Warren Buffett, you know, no prizes for predicting the weather, just for selling umbrellas. And I think it's fundamentally having a strategy that aligns with your insights, having, you know, the courage and the vision to fundamentally go with the data and to understand that that's your most reliable bet to improving, whether it's incremental or disruptive improvements, and to find better ways of being wrong and to actually make reliable predictions on what you can expect, right? So if, for example, I know that hiring people with a certain data analytics methods or kind of protocol increases my representation of effective leaders by 20 or 30 percent, I will be able to quantify what that means in profits and revenues, and I'll be able to bake that into the budget, and I'll be able to find the whole business strategy according to that. What I can't do is then distrust the data and continue making decisions based on intuitions or just follow old and tried ways of working. So it fundamentally requires change. And, you know, everybody likes change until they have to do it themselves. Uh, data alone doesn't create change. It's an incentive uh, or it gives you the materials or the reasons, the rational reasons for, that justify change. But change is about motivation and willpower. Well, that is all, I'm afraid, for this episode of Tech 15, brought to you by Manpower Group. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out our other episodes to find out how technology and talent will power the world of work and human resources. <laughs>